You are listening to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kelly Casperson. Hey, friends, I'm back again with a very exciting episode. I have Vanessa and Xander Marin. Vanessa's a licensed psychotherapist with 20 years of experience in the sex therapy field, and Xander's her regular dude. I love how you market yourself. You're like, just the dude. <laughs> who's been married to a sex therapist, who's Vanessa, for over a decade. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Awesome. You guys have an amazing social media. Like your Instagram is big time. When did you realize like you can reach, because I don't want to assume, but you were probably like doing your sex therapy thing and then realizing like there's way more people who need help. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we actually, for a very long time, we did not like social media. We felt like, you know, who's going to want to follow us. This was back in the day when you could really see like how other people's accounts, what they were interacting with, who they were following and commenting and stuff. So we thought, gosh, nobody's going to want to have their friends and family see that they're following a sex therapist account. So we had a very sterile (laughs) presence there for a long time. Oh yeah. And, um, finally turned the corner, like around, 2020 and realized, you know what, we want to have fun with this and show up as ourselves and not be so focused on, for me in particular, like trying to come across as very, very professional and have all my stuff together. Yeah, I think Um, it was was when we started doing stuff more together that I think that mm -hmm. opened the doors for people to be like, oh, this feels this feels like safe and fun to comment on and share because it's more like we're talking about relationship stuff and not just about sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. My sex therapist in my town, back when I was figuring out like, what's the difference between a sex therapist and a therapist? And like, they're like, yeah, people just think we watch people have sex. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's we still get asked that a lot. I'm like, nope, nope, there's no, <laughs> no contact going on, no viewing going on. It is a professional field, but yeah. I'm like, wow, they think that? That's amazing. But they were like, the difference between a therapist, and give me your view, but the difference between a sex therapist and a therapist is a sex therapist, they're just cool talking about sex. Yeah. Um, so the interesting thing about sex therapy is that it's not regulated the way that psychotherapy is. So Xander, for example, having never gone to grad school, passed the licensing exam, like he can't call himself a psychotherapist. He would get in big trouble if he just created a website tomorrow <laughs> saying that he was one. But for the term sex therapist, anybody can call themselves a sex therapist. It doesn't matter what your training, your background is. So it makes it a little bit tricky. And there's just not a defined career path of how do you get into this field. So I floundered myself for a while trying to figure out, you know, how do I do this? I actually was thinking I was going to go to medical school and and do it more the doctor route. But I realized I wanted to get that psychology background, that like counseling foundation and really being able to help people work with such sensitive issues. So I ended up doing that But yeah, a lot of my practice, I don't see clients one-on-one anymore, but when I was getting started, a lot of my practice was people coming to me from other therapists and they would say, you know, I tried talking to my therapist about this and they just said, oh, oh, no, sorry, I don't, I don't do sex stuff. I don't go there. Like, here's Vanessa's number, go call her. And it, it really shocked me. Like my license is, or my title is a marriage and family therapist. And yet to get that training, to get that license... I had to do a one unit course in human sexuality that basically was just teaching anatomically correct names for our body parts. And it's wild to me that how can I be a, a marriage and family therapist and not 
be equipped to talk about sex. And there'd be so many psychotherapists and couples counselors who just do not want to talk about sex. Like to me, there's no way to separate relationships from sex. Well, yeah. I mean, and for the vast majority of people, you can't have a marriage without ever having sex. And you definitely can't have a family without ever having sex for the vast majority of people. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's like when people are like, my doctor is not comfortable talking about sex. And I'm like, because most doctors aren't. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the same surprise in therapy of like, my therapist's not cool talking about sex. And it's like, they aren't. And that was mind blowing to me. I was like, it's called marriage and couples therapy. <laughs> but I'm like, maybe that I thought that was like the way of saying sex, you know, like on internet where you can't say like sex on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Call your, I always say your intimacy. So talk to me from like the, the psychotherapy standpoint in when you see low desire people, you know, in general, because like the doctor people, their viewpoint is like, check the hormones. It's got to be the hormones. It's probably a hormone thing. Like the doctors are very like biologically based. And when I kind of got into like the podcast and figuring out coaching and really figuring out desire, I'm like, yeah, no, the brain is like pretty much runs the whole show. What would like, not to put you on the spot of like, how much desire do you think is like brain thoughts versus like actually a, a hormone body problem? Yeah, the tricky thing about desire is that so many different factors can affect it. And so I understand the temptation to want to go to something like hormones because it seems straightforward. Like, oh, just get the test. And if the levels are low, then you just take something to make them higher. And that's great, right? But in my experience, you know, I don't want to discount hormones because of course they can have an effect on sex drive and so many aspects of our lives. But in my experience, cases where it's been just a hormone issue or primarily a hormone issue so far and few between like I would I don't have any hard numbers on this but just roughly I would say five to ten percent or less you know it's just it's just not the main category that a lot of us think it is yeah and, and I, you know people who listen to me like they know I kind of beat this with a dead horse of like it's wonderfully complex but don't think it's just one thing because I always say if I start you on a med right away you're gonna fail the med because you haven't dealt with all the other stuff and that now you're a med failure right yeah oh no <laughs> nobody wants that label <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it's, I mean, the, the relationships and your brain and your thoughts about sex and your thoughts about your spouse. Yeah. I mean, there I, I could rattle off a hundred different causes of having low libido, but what we see the top three most common are painful sex. That one I think makes people don't recognize what a strong connection that is. Like if it's a painful experience for you, your body is wired to avoid it, not to crave it. Yeah. What painful things do you find yourself craving in everyday life? Like yeah. I, I can't really think of any. Some people, there's a difference as well between consensual pain. You know, if you want to play with that and it turns you on totally different from, you know, non-consensual, like I don't want to be experiencing this, but yeah, pain is number one. Number two is kind of close related, which is unpleasurable sex. So it's not necessarily that it's causing you pain, but you're not enjoying it. And again, this is another one where we fail to make that connection of if it's not an enjoyable experience for you, why would you find yourself wildly craving it? Like we make a lot of food comparisons in our work. It's like, it's the equivalent of eating like mushy steamed broccoli. Like I even love broccoli, but I don't find myself ever craving mushy steamed, like completely unflavored broccoli. And a lot of people are having sex. It's the equivalent of mushy steamed broccoli. Totally. Uh, and then the third reason that we see is 
is uh, relationship issues. Like, and yet again, this is another one that we just don't make that connection of how are things going between the two of you? If you are feeling resentful of, angry at, disconnected from your partner, like why are you going to want to experience this intimacy, like crave that intimacy with them if things aren't in a good place? Yeah, I mean, we get, we get so many DMs from people where like they actually lay it all out and don't make the connection initially where it's like, Hey, like I'm, I have no sex drive. I really want to get it back. You know, my partner and I are fighting about it all the time. We're also fighting about finances. You know, we have totally different schedules. So like, we're never like together sleeping and all of these things. My partner doesn't really care about my pleasure. I yeah. never have an orgasm. He finishes as soon as he's done. And we're, oh, and we're like, read, go back yeah. and read your message. Why would you crave sex in a situation like that? Totally. Yeah. I think you and I are living, we're in, we're in parallel universes. I, I see the exact same thing. This is how I break it down for pain and desire. People are like, I have two problems, pain with sex and low desire. And I'm like, no, you have one problem. You have pain with sex because desire can't even be something to be considered if you have pain with sex. Same with the people who are like, I have low desire and I'm in marriage counseling because my relationship's on the rocks. And I'm like, well, yeah, you got one problem. <laughs> I always think desire desire is like, everybody thinks that's the problem, but it's always something else. Yeah, it's really the, uh, what is the saying? The canary in the coal mine. Yeah. I, don't, I know that's a morbid <laughs> saying, but it's like, it's, you know, our libido is really a sign of, it's a, a clue to us to look at like what's going on in my life that's preventing me from having this connection to myself, you know? And it's, and I totally empathize with people. Like it can feel so tricky. Like who doesn't want a fast solution? If I had a magical pill that I could just take and have more libido, like, great, that sounds wonderful. So I, I totally understand the desire for a fast fix, the frustration that comes up when they hear us going through like, okay, look at all these other things. But like, it really is, you know, our, our libido gets affected by everything in our lives. And it really is this invitation to try to take a deeper look at like, is my life actually supporting me having a high libido? Totally. Oh, I love it. Let's talk about initiation with our, you know, for everybody listening, spouse, husband, wife, partner, however we use these words, but I mean it like the other person you tend to be sleeping with. But let's talk about initiation. I think like people need tips. They don't want to be rejected. You get rejected once and then you just think you're unlovable, right? Instead of like, no, not, not tonight, but I still love you. And I think people get stuck in like their scripts of like, he always initiates. It's the same old, same old. It gets kind of, kind of mushy broccoli. But like, can you give us tips about like initiating sex or, or like suggestions for people? Yeah. Initiating sex is one of the thorniest dynamics that we have to deal with. And it's it can a, also cause low desire. Like you put yourself mm -hmm. out there once <laughs> you have what feels like a really embarrassing rejection. You probably catastrophize it a bit in your own mind. And all of a sudden, like there's, that's one more like emotionally painful thing that mm -hmm. you associate with sex. Yeah. So the big problem with initiating is that it takes a wild amount of vulnerability. It doesn't matter how long you've been with your partner. You could even say the longer you've been with your partner, the more vulnerability it takes. But to really put yourself out there and ask for what you want and do it in a way that's going to be really appealing to your partner, because initiation should be an invitation. You know, it should be something that your partner feels excited about. So to do it to that level requires so much vulnerability. And a lot of us don't want to do that. 
you know, we have, like Xander was saying, we have that one experience, that first experience of being turned down and we get so hurt. We think it's all about us. My partner doesn't love me anymore. They're not attracted to me. The spark's gone. We're one of those boring old couples now. (laughs) You know, we don't want to keep putting out that vulnerability. And so we start initiating in these really roundabout ways of like, you know, I'm trying to just give my partner the look, but he's asking me like, do you have something in your eye? (laughs) Or, you know, it's a, a kind of like, well, I guess it's been a while. Should we do it? You know, and of course, like for your partner, that's not going to feel like an invitation. It's not going to feel sexy and enticing. And so you're more likely to get a no. And it just repeats that vicious cycle of, well, I don't want to put myself out there if I'm going to get a no, but then you keep initiating in ways that your partner's going to say no to. I think there's also, there's a lot of like unhealthy gender dynamics that come up with initiation. Yes. As, male, female as well in male, female yeah. relationships, but, but even not in male-female relationships, like whoever identifies more with the masculine tends to be the one that society says, okay, you're, you're supposed to be the initiator. And then, you know, the partner that identifies more with the feminine tends, you know, feels like, okay, well, I'm supposed to wait around until they initiate. You know, and the reality is that in any kind of relationship, both partners typically, I mean, I think I can say 100% of the time, both partners want to feel wanted. Mm -hmm. And so then often you can get into this cat and mouse game where it's like, okay, well, I initiate 90% of the time. And why is my partner not initiating? Like, do they even want sex? Like, I don't know. Maybe I should wait and see if they will initiate. And then the other partner is like, hey, what's going on? Like, why aren't they initiating? They always initiate. And then all of a sudden, it's been months and there's all this resentment building mm-hmm. and you, have, you haven't you have talked about it or anything. And it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like at that point, it's a huge problem. Yeah, and it's like, well, we make oh, everything yeah. new. Yeah, we play all these games with each other. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, oh, well, my partner hasn't initiated in a while. So I'm going to see how long they'll go before they initiate. Or I I initiated last time, so I'm going to make my partner initiate this time. And yeah, we turn it into these really like complex, terrible games and it just gets so thorny so quickly. Yeah. Talk about this thing. So, so I see women and they're like, he just grabs my breasts and my butt and like, I'm in the kitchen trying to make dinner and I actually don't like it, right? So she like rejects him. That was him kind of trying to initiate in a touch way, which she doesn't want to be initiated that way. How would you work through a complaint like that? Yeah, we call that the boob honk. They like reach around and squeezing like some old school bicycle horns. Um, We have actually pulled this because I was like, no boob haver likes this at all. We pulled it on our Instagram account and I think like, 2% 2% of people said that they genuinely enjoy it. So there are some people who like it. Yeah, if you're in the 2%, <laughs> hell yeah, more power to you. But the vast majority of us like do not like being initiated in this way. But I think that this is a classic example of the kind of initiation we do when we're feeling too vulnerable. It's like we try to do it as a joke. And then, so if, you know, Xander comes up and he grabs my boobs and I say, oh my God, stop. I, I, I was just joking. I'm just playing around. I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to initiate sex. God, no. Yeah. So he can try to play it off. Right. Well, you don't want to be rejected, right? Yeah. Yeah. But of course, it's just, you know, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel exciting or enticing, inviting in any sort of way. And then, you know, the partner is feeling kind of rejected even with the attempt to like play it off. So it's just, unless your partner has explicitly told you, I love it when you come out of nowhere and grab me especially with the boobs, (laughs) then don't initiate in that way. 
Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that sex issues between couples are 99.9% communication issues? Yes. Yes. And that's why our book is all about how to help couples talk about sex. Because I mean, this is the wild thing. You know, I got this idea to write the book a couple of years back. And I thought, you know, this is really kind of our sweet spot is we love helping couples talk about the sex that they are having or not having. And I started doing some research and I realized there is not a single book in existence about how couples can talk to each other about sex. There are books about how to talk to your kids about sex. There are plenty of books about like sex techniques, but there's nothing about how to talk about it, which just blew my mind. Like, how is this, you know, how are we in this day and time? And there's not a single book about this. So yeah, we're really excited. And I think that what feels so exciting to us too is not only is communication, it doesn't have to be as big and scary as a lot of us think, but it can actually be really fun and sexy and intimacy building too. Oh yeah. I mean, people ask us all the time. One of the funniest questions we get on Instagram like multiple times a week. It's like, do you guys want sex less because you talk about it so much? And we're like, (laughs) no, (laughs) exactly the opposite. The more you talk about it, the more you want it. I think there's this idea that like, oh, if we talk about it, somehow it's going to feel stale or clinical or not exciting. But yeah, I think think that's just like a a protective mechanism way for you to justify like not talking about it. But yeah, the reality is it's a, it's a bit vulnerable at first and it takes a little bit of practice. It's not like you jump right into a conversation about like, Oh, here's all my problems with you and sex. Like that's not how you do it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think people are really hesitant to talk about it and make up a lot of reasons as to why they should be hesitant to talk about it. But yeah, we, we share a lot of ideas for just easy ways to dip your toes into the water of talking. (laughs) I love it. I can't wait for that book to come out to be a resource. Coming out February 2023, you can pre-order it on Amazon right now. I'll put the link in the in the transcript. So tell me, I see this a lot. Female, heterosexual relationship, their spouse, long-term relationship, avoids talking about sex, doesn't want to talk about it, whether it's an erectile dysfunction issue that they really don't want to talk about, or she's like, Hey, I kind of like want to have more sex. You know, I'm I'm feeling 50, the kids are out of the house, I've got some hormones, I feel good. And he's like, uh-uh, no, no. Like, what do you do when you've got a spouse or a significant other that's kind of roadblocking the situation? Yeah, that's such a common thing that comes up. We hear a lot of people say, you know, oh, well, I don't want to do that. That's not natural. Sex should be natural. Like having to talk about it doesn't feel good. And and so we really like to normalize for people like, no, talking about it is normal. It's natural. And then we always say like sex itself is natural, but like everything about sex is unnatural. <laughs> you know, like the most, it's the most unnatural, natural act that we can do. So talking about it is really important. And I think it's, it's also important for us to recognize, like there's nothing else in our lives that we put so much pressure on to be perfect without any sort of communication, any sort of preparation. It's just supposed to happen like magic in the movies. And you're supposed to be an expert. Yeah. (laughs) When it comes to having a partner who is stonewalling those attempts at communication, 
there might be a couple of things going on. First thing is you might be trying to go in talking about the problems in your sex life. Like, why do you never want me? Why haven't you initiated in three weeks? Why haven't you done this? When are you going to go to the doctor? Yeah. And so, of course, when people get met with that kind of energy, like uh, for so many of us, a natural inclination is to clam up and not want to talk about it. So one of our big recommendations for everybody just getting more comfortable talking about sex is to start with positive things first. So talking about sex doesn't need to be problem solving, like start talking about it in a general sense. So one great baby step is like right after you've just had it, just say something super simple. Like that was really fun. I enjoyed that. I liked it when you did fill in the blank. Yeah. My favorite part was this. So you're not trying to solve anything. You're not bringing up anything. It's literally just giving a compliment getting more comfortable with it as a a topic of conversation. So that's a much better way to ease your partner in and help them realize like this is a safe topic to talk about. We can have good experiences talking about it rather than like only complaints and things that need to be fixed and what's wrong with you and all that kind of stuff. Or if you're you're not having a lot of sex and so you don't have a lot of opportunities to have Mm -hmm. that kind of, we call that like the post-game conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that you can do is you can talk about some of your favorite sexual memories with each other. You can be like, oh, hey, like, remember, you know, five years ago on our anniversary trip, we were at this hotel and, you know, and blah, blah, blah happened. Like that can be a really nice way to just kind of reminisce and bring up positive memories. Awesome. So what would your advice be to for a woman in this scenario who's like, yeah, I've tried a couple of times and he just like shuts it down and doesn't want to talk about it. At what point are you like, go have your own great sex life. Like what advice do we have for this person? Yeah. I mean, I would really encourage people to try to have a number of like positive non-goal oriented conversations at first, because if this has been a sore subject in your relationship, if you have like years, maybe even decades of negative experiences built up, like your partner's going to be suspicious and it's going to take a little bit of time for their guard to come down and realize like, oh, my partner's not buttering me up with like one compliment. And then she, she or he, or they are going to pounce on me with all the complaints. So you want to give it a little bit of time. And I totally understand for somebody who's been struggling with this for a long time, you're like, I don't want to be patient anymore. (laughs) Like I want this to happen now, but you do want to like give your partner a little bit of space to like relax into it. If you've tried that a number of times and your partner's still stonewalling you, not responding, saying, I don't want to talk about it, then it's, you know, you're going to have to have a more serious sit down conversation with your partner and share with them. What are the reasons why communicating about your sex life is valuable to you? And I think even in this conversation, you can still keep it positive and say, you know, look, I know that this is something really challenging for you and you haven't wanted to talk about it in the past. I really need for us to talk about it because I'm just going to make up stuff here. It's like, you know, intimacy is something that's really important to me. And this connection that we have is really important to me. And I want us to be able to talk about it openly because that's actually what makes me feel close to you. When I feel like we can talk about what's going on between the two of us. And, you know, I don't want to jump right into criticisms or complaints or anything like that. Like, I just want us to get more comfortable talking about such an important integral part of our relationship. Yeah, I love it. Would you would you give the same advice or different advice? Let's let's switch the scenario and say that we've got a, a husband who's like, my wife has low desire. She just never is interested. She's not having doesn't want to have it. She could go all year and not want sex with me anymore. But we're still in this marriage. And he's like, what would what advice would you give the guys in that scenario? 
Yeah, still the same advice, you know, just sharing with your partner the value of being able to talk about it and, and, you know, share with them like, yeah, we talk about every other aspect of our relationship. And even when we go through hard times, like it makes me feel connected to you and close to you that we can acknowledge the challenges that we're going through. And sex is the same. One particular dynamic that can be really valuable to point out is a lot of, so we say that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who want to feel connected before having sex and people who have sex as a way to feel connected. And typically in a nice, cruel twist of fate by the universe, there's one of each kind in every relationship. So there are a lot of people who, you know, they want to feel that emotional connection first. And for that type of person, it can be really easy to write off sex as just a physical act. And so if your partner is like, your partner's always wanting to have sex with you and you're not wanting, it's very easy to think. And especially like in male, female relationships, it's very easy for the woman to think like, he's just being such a guy. He just wants sex all the time. He won't leave me alone. It's not even about me. He just wants to get off. And so being able to describe to your partner that it's not just this physical act. I have a hand, I have toys. I can take care of myself if I need to. It's not just this purely physical act. Like I'm wanting to feel connected to you. This is a way that I feel intimacy with you, that I show my true self, that I get vulnerable with you, that I connect with you. And so it's not just about the physical release. So especially for somebody who's feeling low desire and who, where maybe their partner's desire feels like a burden or something that they have to take care of, being able to share with your partner, like, it's not about putting body parts into body parts. Like this is about me wanting to feel connected to you. Yeah. I mean, and on the flip side, you know, the partner with the higher desire, you know, you could like that partner could have a conversation with their partner and kind of talk about this sort of sex to feel connected or connected to have sex dynamic and see like, so if their partner is someone that feels like they need connection first in order to have sex, you could start thinking about like, okay, like, do we have enough emotional intimacy in our relationship because what very often happens, uh, especially with men, because many men tend to be the, I like to have sex in order to feel connected. I don't feel very comfortable with emotional connection that isn't sex is thinking about like, okay, like, have I been pulling away emotionally because we haven't been having sex? Have we not been having very much mm -hmm. emotional connection or intimacy because of the lack of sex going on in our relationship? And so, you know, can I set aside for a little while these, you know, any disappointment or resentment I might have around the fact that we're not having sex and just spend some time focusing on reconnecting emotionally? Like maybe we need to just go away together for the weekend. Maybe we need to start having weekly date nights. Maybe we need to take a five minute walk around the block every, every night. Yeah. <laughs> I think that very often people tend to be surprised at like how, you know, just little things can move the needle really far and just like reconnecting emotionally. And that can often really do wonders. And we just forget about that. Cause it's like, you know, if I'm one way and Vanessa's the other, like, I'm like, I just assume that everyone operates the way I do. And I have to constantly remind myself like, oh, okay. Like not everyone sees the world in the way that I do. If you're in peri or post-menopause and think your hair and skin look unhealthy, you're not imagining it. Menopause naturally affects your hair and skin. Hormone changes can affect appearance years before and long after menopause. Sylvessa is the first comprehensive system designed to restore and protect hair and skin affected by estrogen decline. The Sylvessa system is designed to restore the collagen and nutrients impacted by declining estrogen, improving the appearance of your hair and skin today, and protecting against future damage tomorrow. 
formulated with hyaluronic acid to visibly improve skin texture and reduce fine lines and wrinkles. Give Sylvessa by Bonafide a try today. No hormones and no prescription required. To get 20% off your first purchase when you subscribe to any product, go to hellobonafide.com slash notbroken and use promo code notbroken. That's hello, B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E dot com slash notbroken and code notbroken for 20% off at checkout. For best prices and free shipping, go directly to the hellobonafide.com slash notbroken website. This is their best offer anywhere, so check it out and use promo code notbroken. I think part of this is poor communication. Part of it's like desire mismatch. But at what point are you like, okay, it's bring in a therapist time in these? Like, what are like warning signs of like, this is not working out. We need a third party. Yeah. I mean, if you feel like the majority of your conversations just go off the rails and you guys, if the phrase like you're not understanding or you're not listening, if that's a frequent (laughs) utterance in your household, then that can be a good sign to seek out a therapist. Of course, you're always going to have miscommunications. Like Xander and I teach this stuff for a living. We have miscommunications all the time. So you probably already (laughs) had one or two today. (laughs) It's it's totally normal. It doesn't mean it. Yeah. Like to normalize it. To have miscommunication, it's normal to feel, you know, kind of stuck sometimes. But if it feels like the majority of your conversations are going that way, it's a great idea to see a therapist. Another thing I'll say is going back to your scenario, like if you're getting a partner who's just stonewalling you and refusing to participate, go on your own go on your own first. Like, of course you want to have your partner participate with you, but there's still a lot of value in going on your own and and maybe getting some new tools and techniques and resources. So, I mean, we're obviously no surprise here. Like we're huge therapy fans. I know a lot of people think of therapy as like a last ditch resort or, you know, God, things have to be really bad in order for us to do that. But therapy is such a valuable resource that helps you learn more about yourself, understand yourself, understand each other, have more intimacy, Like, I think every couple should do therapy at some point in their relationship or another, even if there's not a a huge problem. You know, we've done a lot of therapy and have found it to be so beneficial. Like we use the tools that we learned in therapy all the time and it's really strengthened our relationship. Absolutely. I love how you normalize that. It's absolutely awesome. So what about tips to find out how much, like you get this probably as much as I do, is like, how much sex should we be having? Like it's like a eight vegetables uh-huh. a day, 30 <laughs> minutes of exercise and eight hours of sleep. I know, exactly. Yeah, right? the million, it's the million dollar question. <laughs> right, you're like three. Yeah. And then they're just like compare, you know, so, but in a relationship, how do how does a relationship, a couple with everybody's mismatched because there's two different people, how does a couple find out how much sex is right for their relationship? Like, how would you navigate that? Because like, there you're just like, I need more, I need less, I need more, I need less. Like, is there a like, let's figure out what's good for the relationship? <laughs> yeah, the classic question. Yeah. So, okay, here's the thing. This is another way that we take this big complex topic of sex and we try to shrink it down into something that just makes sense. Like, let's just have the number. As long as I have the number, I'll know what to do. But the reality is, there are a bunch of realities here. <laughs> One is there is no magic number that's going to work for every couple. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, we've I've worked with couples who... 2.3. Yeah. (laughs) I've worked with couples who've had sex a few times a year and they were 
were totally happy. I've worked with couples who have zero sex and they're super happy and have wonderful intimate relationships. And I've worked with couples who have sex multiple times a day and are still feeling disconnected and like it's not enough. So that's one piece of it. Another piece of it is that throughout the course of your relationship, you're not gonna wanna have to have sex the exact same amount of time every week. Like it changes so much based on what's going on in your life. So there might be a week where you guys are just really hot and heavy and like every day is, you know, feeling fun. And then maybe you go two weeks and you're just like, we had that wild week. I'm sort of spent for a bit. Oh yeah. So many people. (laughs) Yeah. Cause like if you get focused on just like, okay, well it has to be three times a week. Like, let's say you have sex twice that week and both those times are super awesome, like incredible sex. Both people are super, super happy. If you have this benchmark in your head and then like, you know, your schedule just goes totally crazy the rest of the week or, you know, your parents come into town unexpectedly most people would be like, okay, cool. We had two, we had sex twice. It was totally awesome. But like, if you're fixated on a number, you can come away from like what could have been or should have Mm -hmm. been a really positive experience with this feeling of, oh, like we didn't hit the number. It wasn't enough. Like it doesn't matter how good the other ones were. Like Mm -hmm. something must be wrong. And we, we hear people kind of like speaking about it in those terms so often. Yeah. Having sex to hit a quota is just, unless you've got a little kink about that or like some role playing that you like to do around it. Trying to just hit a quota is not going to be fun. So I realize it's an unsatisfying answer for a lot of people. They're like, just tell us the secret number. So we <laughs> but, do. We do have numbers. <laughs> we actually, we have done a really big survey. I think at this point we've had mm. 45,000 people have filled it out. I think something in that ballpark. Yeah. So we asked people to just share with us, you know, how much sex are you currently having? And we, and also share their satisfaction levels as well. So again, this is not prescriptive. This is not, this is how much you have to have, but this is just because I know people are so curious about this and want to know like, but what are other people doing? It's natural to be curious. So we found 75% of the respondents fell into three different buckets and there was a dead even split between those three buckets. And so that was two to three times a month, once a week, two to three times a week. So those were the three different buckets. And there were, again, like 25% in each. And we looked at the satisfaction, self-reported satisfaction, and there was no difference between any of those groups. So whether people were having it two to three times a month, once a week, or two to three times a week, each of those buckets were equally happy. So I think that that is great proof that like there is no magic number that's going to work for everybody. Yeah, we also found like no real appreciable difference between couples who have kids or not, which also kind of like disproves like the grass, it sort of uh, proves the grass is always greener point of like, (laughs) oh yeah, it used to be so good when we were younger, when we didn't have kids and, you know, of everyone reporting to us, we didn't see a big difference. Yeah. Did you correlate it with the length of being in a relationship? We did not. We did not. Yeah. That's a great piece to to take a look at next. We can add that onto our data. So I'll say like, you know, in terms of people trying to figure out the frequency that feels right for them, I think one useful piece of advice is to try to have sex more often than you feel the natural desire for it. Because a lot of us do wait around kind of like we want to just feel that spontaneous desire out of nowhere. And there are a lot of misconceptions about spontaneous spontaneous desire. We can go into that at some point if you want to. But we really talk to couples about how sex should be, there should be an effort that goes into it. And sometimes like it's about carving out time to just show up 
in the bedroom together and see what sort of energy emerges between us. So it's not saying that you have to pressure yourself to have sex when you don't want to have it, but to like be conscious about carving out the time for it and seeing if that desire shows up. Yeah, because a lot of people will say like, oh, well, back at the beginning of our relationship, it was so easy. It came so naturally. It just felt like I had that desire and it came out of nowhere. And now it's not like that anymore. And what we always like to say is that think back to the beginning of your relationship and and let's be honest now, like it didn't come out of nowhere. Like you were actually doing all the things that Vanessa just described about like carving out time. And at the beginning of your relationship, you're planning dates. You're probably anticipating going on dates, like for multiple days, you're doing stuff to get ready. You're getting a haircut, you're doing your makeup, you're doing, you know, whatever all the The prep was. (laughs) I I get into like the female getting ready things and I'm like, oh, like what are all the things? I don't know. But you you go to the gym, you're talking to your friends about it. You're building all this anticipation and you're literally planning. Mm -hmm. You're planning things. You're literally scheduling dates, which are kind of like you're you're scheduling sex, so to speak. Like we're going to go on a date and we're probably going to have sex afterwards. Totally. So what do we do when a woman says he just doesn't care about my pleasure? Oh, boy, that's a big one. We just had a recent podcast episode about this. And yeah, I mean, it, it unfortunately, we I think we divided it up into three categories. Yeah. Of like, there are some just outright jerks who are just I just want to get mine and, and be over with. But there are also a lot of like murky gray areas where, you know, unfortunately, we all get taught a lot of BS about female orgasm that like it's so complicated and it takes so long and it's so difficult. Where's and, the clitoris? And like that and that women should orgasm from penetration alone. And so there are a lot of people operating under these false beliefs. So there are a lot of men out there that you know, if you can't, if you asked him, do you care about her pleasure? You'd say, yeah, of course I do. But like his actions in the moment aren't really emphasizing her being able to have the same sort of experience that he is. So it's really important to us to, you know, we talk so much about this in our own, on our own Instagram account about the truth about how female orgasm works and prioritizing clitoral pleasure as much as we're prioritizing penile pleasure. So uh, I think for the vast majority of people, it really comes down to getting a proper education in how female pleasure works. Yeah. And then there, there kind of is another category as well, where, you know, like for a lot of men, they'll have had experiences in the past where perhaps a partner has told them like, oh, I'm not really into oral sex or like, don't spend very much time on me. Or just faked it. Yeah, or just faked orgasm. And a lot of that comes from, you know, the societal BS as well of like, oh, well, like, you know, you're not, he's not supposed to spend that much time on me. You know, it's, it's more about the intercourse. And so like the guy might come away from those earlier experiences thinking, oh, like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm, you know, my partners have have told me that like, mm-hmm. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't spend very much time on them, that I should kind of go straight to intercourse and all of this stuff. Or they might think, oh, well, whatever I'm doing is wildly pleasurable for my partner because like, you know, the past three people just orgasmed in like 30 seconds. So I must, you know, I must know exactly what I'm doing. And in reality, those were fake. And so, you know, there's just, there can be a lot of misunderstanding or assumptions that like, oh, like I know exactly what I'm doing when in reality, you don't entirely. 
So the, the big message that we give to men is to think about the clitoris like you think of the penis. So there has to be stimulation of it. So if you think about, you know, if we're doing some sort of sexual act that has no contact with your penis whatsoever, like, would you expect to like it? And guys understand very quickly, like, oh, yeah, no. Yeah. Okay. And you Same definitely, with the clitoris. And you definitely <laughs> wouldn't expect to, to orgasm, right? Mm-hmm. Like as a guy, if, you know, she's just playing with your balls for five minutes, like <laughs> that might feel okay. But you know, 99% of men are not orgasming from that. What do you, how do you advise the woman where, where the woman's like, he doesn't, he's not comfortable with us having a vibrator involved. He's not, he says, I shouldn't need a vibrator. Am I going to hurt his ego if there's a vibrator? Like, how do you introduce the toy when he's the one who's kind of rejecting it, knowing that's part of what clitoral stimulation is, is seeing what works for her? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's so important for men to recognize that a vibrator is not a threat <laughs> to a penis. A vibrator is a cool piece of technology that's able to provide some really focused, targeted stimulation that a, a penis just isn't physically capable of. But nobody's going to fall in love with their vibrator and only ever want to be with the vibrator and not have like a human being in bed with them. So I think it's yeah, just really important to realize it's a totally common normal, healthy addition to the bedroom. And I think for a lot of women, it's got to come down to being willing to advocate for your pleasure and to share with your partner, you know, like, I want to have the same kind of experience you're having. I want to have the most sensitive parts of my body stimulated. And, you know, you can, you know, allow your partner to touch you, to go down on you, show them what you like. So you're not, you know, completely shutting them out and saying, I only want to use the vibrator. But, you know, being able to share with your partner, like, this is a tool that helps me experience what I need when we're intimate together. And like, I don't want to feel shamed for wanting to have the same sort of experience that you're having. And I think another really important point is that in a relationship, like it's not your job to completely shield your partner from having any kind of feelings. Oh my God. Can you just repeat that for all the people (laughs) in the back? So many women, I'm stereotyping. So Uh many women are so afraid. I'd say afraid. Is that the right word? Of making somebody angry. Like we're so, we're trying to control his feelings and we're like limiting our sex lives because of it. Because the reality is that oftentimes we need to have that feeling and then really feel it and maybe even react poorly in order to get through the feeling. I think like very often when we are not very emotionally intelligent, we do kind of react poorly often when something comes up and then we start processing it. And then we start you know, regretting what we did or what we said. And that's kind of how we come to terms with things. And I think often if you're so focused on protecting your partner from having any kind of emotion or feeling about something like in a way, like you're contributing to them not getting any experience and actually growing or like moving through those feelings. And so, yeah, like some people will have a less than ideal reaction the first time you bring something up. But I think like people need to have a chance to, to have whatever feelings come up. And, you know, that's how you get through them. I think we do hear from a lot of people that say, Hey, I brought this up. He reacted kind of poorly. And a couple of days later, he was like, you know what? I've been thinking about it. I'm sorry I reacted that way. Let's actually try this. But, you know, I think we kind of got to give him a chance. Well, I think it's important to, to, to recognize that as women, we're really socialized to be caretakers and to be so conscious of other people's feelings and twisting ourselves, contorting ourselves into the tiniest little spaces to avoid 
doing anything to any other person. And unfortunately, like that's really hurting us. We're squishing ourselves down to just take up the teeniest, tiniest amount of space. And it's just not satisfying or enjoyable for any of us. So yeah, like Xander was saying, like we can't put all of that responsibility on our own shoulder to like, I have to always protect him, make sure he, his ego never gets bruised and he never feels anything negative. You know, of course the ideal situation would be, Hey, I want to use a vibrator. (laughs) Cool. Let's do it. And of course, nobody wants to have a situation of your partner, like getting themselves a little bit worked up, but with emotions, like the only way out is through, we have to just be able to experience them. and, And that's how we grow and we develop more emotional intelligence. I love it. Let's talk about the mushy broccoli for a bit. So (laughs) I see this so much. And my opinion is this is a consent issue and it's not researched. I do not see a lot of stuff published on this, but it's not, it's not rape, but it's not a hell yes. And she's been having sex with him for years because he just needs it. It's just something she's doing for him. Sex is she could take it or leave it for the rest of her life because that's the sex she's been having. And to me... I think this is like millions and millions and millions of lived experiences. I see stuff on college students on this, but I do not see like married long-term relationship research on this. Can you talk like, do you see that? How do we help these people? We are living a life of mush broccoli in regards to sex. Yeah, we actually did a a poll about this pretty recently. There, like, this is one of the topics that breaks my heart the most. So we asked, you know, women in relationships with men, Have you ever pressured yourself or felt pressured by your partner to have sex that you, the exact situation that you're describing of like, you agreed to it, but you really didn't want to be doing it in that moment. And I think it was, it was something wild. Like 83% of women said, I have done this at least once. And we asked, does this regularly happen? I believe it was about 35% of women said, I I am regularly having sex that I don't want to be having. And this is people following our account. Like it does still take a certain amount of, you know, like to follow a sex therapy account. Like our audience does tend to be a little bit more progressive than, than the average audience, but still 35% are like regularly experiencing this. So it just breaks my heart. And what was even worse was we got so many DMs when we did that poll a couple of weeks back of women justifying it and saying like, well, but my partner, you know, I respect my partner and his pleasure and his satisfaction are important to me. And therefore it is my duty to do this. And if I don't do it, he's going to look elsewhere. And that would be understandable for him to look like they were justifying it. And it just made me so sad. Of course, part of being in a relationship is like respecting your partner's Mm -hmm. needs and being willing to compromise and say like, I'm living my life with another person and I'm making changes to what my life would look like if it was just me because I want to share my life with another person. And so I do believe in there's that tiny kernel of truth of like, you know, Xander's needs are important to me. But at the same time, sex is something so vulnerable, so intimate, so personal. This is not like... I don't want to take out the trash, but I'm going to compromise and I'll take it out. Like this is, especially as a woman, this is, I'm allowing his body to enter my body. Like that is so freaking vulnerable. And to do something like that, like when you are just not wanting to do it, to just lie there and let your partner like do sex to you instead of having sex with you, that breaks my heart. And that kind of sex is going to annihilate your sex drive. Because if you start to make that connection of sex is not for me, 
Sex is something that gets done to me that I push myself to do that I sometimes don't actively don't want to do and I'm forcing myself to. Like, how are you ever going to feel like craving and excitement and desire for it? On the flip side, when you pull the partner, male partners or, you know, the other partner, whoever it is, the vast majority of partners receiving the the pity sex or whatever you want to call it, they don't actually want that. Like mm-hmm. barely anyone goes, oh yeah, no, I, I'd rather, I'd rather have sex. I'd rather just do I'd it even if she's not in there it. and let me do it. To yeah. Her. The, the vast majority of people do not want that. And, but the problem is that it's happening it's happening without there being any conversation about it. It's happening because there's an assumption being made that I need to do this. And then the partner on the other side is going, oh man, like it feels like something is off between us. And I don't know, I don't know what it is. It doesn't seem like she's ever into having sex with me. I'm not sure if she's really into me, but they don't know how to broach it either. And so, yeah, it just yeah, creates this whole yeah. conundrum. We've had so many men tell us, like, I don't, I don't want her just lying there. Like, I want her to want it. I want her to be in that moment with me and like having true intimacy with me. So it's just crappy all the way around. It's crappy for the woman. It's crappy for like the guy, if we're talking about it in a gendered way here. But yeah, it's just, this is not the solution. It's not, it's really not. I think you guys have so much work to do. I've got so much work to do. Like this is not like a a teeny segment of the population that has issues with sex. You know, this is like millions and millions of people. Let's wrap it up with one more question I have about long-term relationship, heterosexual, somebody's got a penis, somebody's got a vagina and the penis doesn't work anymore. And then all the intimacy goes away because sex was putting the penis in the vagina, you guys, for like decades. And now we don't have any sex and we avoid sex because there's no penis to go in the vagina. Like all the damn time, this is a problem. So to me, I'm like, how would you help that couple navigate this? One of our favorite sayings is that everything counts as sex. So especially in male, female couples, like we've been fed this Hollywood and porn fantasy of like intercourse is the thing and everything else is foreplay, the things that we do before we have intercourse, right? But the reality is there are so many ways that you can be intimate with each other and only one of them is sticking the penis into a vagina. So there are plenty of other things that you can do together. And it's it's really important to broaden your definition of sex and to recognize all of those things count, especially when it comes to vulva owners. Like you're far more likely to make a vulva feel pleasure and reach orgasm with hands, with with mouth, with a toy than with a penis. So it's not just like, we're not just giving lip service to like, oh, those other things are fun too. It's like, no, they might actually be more fun than the penis and vagina thing. So that's a, that's a really big piece of it. And the ironic thing about that as well is that for a lot of men, when they broaden that definition of sex and they realize like, oh, I don't need just my penis to bring my partner pleasure. I can bring her pleasure in lots of other ways. That actually improves their confidence. And for, you know, obviously penile issues have a lot of different potential causes, but a lot of them are confidence based. And so if he's feeling more confident and realizes like, I don't need my penis to have a good time here, then ironically, a lot of penis issues do resolve themselves. Amazing. Awesome. You guys, thank you so much for joining us. 
this couple is a powerhouse, you guys. So the, the book's coming out February 2023. Pre-order now on Amazon. Pillow Talks is your amazing podcast. And then, of course, your Instagram is huge. Follow you guys Aww, on Instagram. Thank you I'll, so I'll much. put all the links in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank yeah, you for thank having you. us and for having such great questions. <laughs> Hey friends, if you love what I'm doing on this podcast and love who I'm interviewing, I want to encourage you to join the private membership where you get a front seat pass with all of my interviews and you can even ask them questions. In addition, there's going to be group coaching with me and my upcoming guest coach to take this work, to go deeper, to live your best sex and love life. Join today at www.kellycaspersonmd.com membership. I'll see you on the inside.